In today's episode, we continue our conversation with Mitchum Reeves. Rob Gogi and his wife, Allison Van Nora out of Los Angeles. She's a Emmy-winning movie producer. Uh, he's an Emmy-winning uh, composer. And uh, they had heard the podcast on Undisclosed, and they uh, sent me a message. If I decided to do a podcast, Rob says, man, I'll score it for free. Well, Susan wanted to do something, but when they finished up with my, my story, uh, she took a vacation, and uh, I, I, I said, man, she didn't just take a vacation uh, across the state. She went out, out of the United States. <laughs> so I lost my, I lost my contact there because she kept me going. But Lana Ansley called me. The, the podcast, the last episode was with uh, John Cryer when they did the addendum. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Lana called me that Monday, and we hadn't met yet, but we talked about two and a half hours on the phone and became good friends. And we have since been to her home. She's been here. Um, uh, she's become a real good close friend. But Susan, uh, I didn't want to do anything without Susan's blessing. She was the girl I went to the dance with. And I said, well, I, I got I to gotta stay with the girl I went to the dance with. So when Susan got back in town, I told her I got to offer with these folks to do a podcast. And she said, well, go ahead and do it because she's going to be real busy anyway. And that's how the Mitchum podcast got born. And I would like to say that is amazing. I love it. And the scoring is perfect. Oh, and- it's really good with the sound effects and the music. It's awesome. Yeah. It's like being there and it's, it's not uh traumatic story stories. Well, not for me listening to, cause I wasn't there. I, I'm sure it was uh, oh, heated for you at times, but they're good stories. Yeah. He, they Rob just, how we started was here on my front porch. Okay. Now I got two smartphones, you know, I had to graduate from that flip phone to one smartphone. Now I got two. So uh, how we did it, he said, just, and, and but I got to say this. During Susan working with me, she helped open my mind up to the past. I, I had just kind of shut everything off, and I hadn't talked about none of this stuff. I've not talked about running liquor or how I got started as a kid, none of that. And it just those memories just started coming back. So Rob said, uh, well, we, we're going, well, I'm talking on, I'm recording on one phone and I'm talking to him on the other phone while we're recording these things. So I get out on the front porch and uh, he said, just remember the first, when you, when you first started in the moonshine business. So we go from this. So the first episode on the Mitchell podcast is called Detroit. And that was when I was running moonshine to Detroit truckloads. Uh, so that's the first story we did. Well, Rob, after, after he, what we would do, I'd record something and send it to a Dropbox, and he would edit it, score it, and release it every Monday. Six o'clock in the morning, Georgia time, and three o'clock in the afternoon, California time. So it came out, Detroit came out, and man, it was a hit. Um, so he, he's got a friend that does movies in Florida, and he said, man, what kind of equipment's that guy got? He said, hell, he's on his front porch on, on a cell phone. <laughs> and that's what we did 
the rest of the time. That's how we, we did them. And then it just, my I, Rob would say, okay, just whatever you want to talk about. And then I started doing stories on my family. My, I did all my brothers, my sister, my children, my first wife, all of them. It just ended up. That's how it happened. But let me tell you one story. Uh, the, the One of the stories is called Butterball. Uh, that my ex-friend Butterball, when guy was chasing me with a gun and Butterball was in my 49 Ford and uh, had locked the doors and I couldn't get in. And then I stand up there with a gun about to shoot at us. Um, well, you can listen to the story, but uh, Rob didn't have the sound of a 49 Ford flathead V8 with dual Smitty exhaust pipe. He said, I, I, I got every sound I can make on this machine but that. I said, hold on, brother. So I go out to the garage and I crank up my 50 Ford with the Smitty glass pipe V8 and I record it, send it to him. So when you hear Butterball and you hear that 49 Ford take, you know, it's this 50 Ford sitting out here in the garage. <laughs> That's so awesome. Very yeah. authentic. I yeah. love that. I love that. Do you have more stories of uh, running moonshine? Oh, Lord, yeah. Well, there's a whole season, and I just I li listened to the wild turkey one just recently. Oh, the last one we did. Yes. Uh, the, the, the reason that one came up, uh, we did two seasons on the Mitchell podcast, 53 episodes, I think. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of moonshine stories of chase scenes of – Cops chasing me. One one lady that was listening to the podcast lives in North Carolina, and she sent a message in, and she was driving down the highway listening to the podcast, and uh, the story was there was a chase scene in it, and the sirens came on. And she pulled over on the side of the road. <laughs> she thought she thought it was so realistic. She thought it was a siren coming. <laughs> oh, that was funny to me. But, that is funny. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's can funny. I can I go back to uh Susan, the um the superhero? Because um as far as I remember, the reason she called you up, like you hadn't contact you had been like trying to get your case out, but nothing, but it had fizzled it out again. The last thing anything happened. Right. And then she came to you because your name came popping up in Joey Watkins' case. In the courthouse up there, yeah. She kept seeing my name popping and up. And how did you feel when she came and said, uh, you know, can you, and did you know about Joey Watkins before? No. I, I didn't know, I didn't know what a podcast was. <laughs> I didn't know what a podcast. And I didn't know anything really about the story. I, uh, uh, I didn't know anything about it. Susan educated me pretty fast on that and I got and then I started once she got me involved I started listening to Joey's case the podcast but I would get so mad uh, then I would be awake all night so I, I had to quit listening to Joey's story at night and had to listen in the daytime because I have a problem sleeping anyway well listening to what they were doing to him triggered what happened to me And I'm thinking, okay, man, it was 1974 when these when these idiots were doing what they did to me, and here they are still doing the same thing these years later. It, right. It, 
problem is in in Georgia is the good old boy system. Mm. Same uh, in Texas. You know, that's just how it works. But let me tell you this quick story. If we got time. Mm-hmm. Um, before I, I well, the drunk lawyer came to see me at the jail, there was a lawyer came to see me. Y'all are a lot younger, so you may not remember, but they were uh, TV shows in the 50s. They did the wider up show, Bat Masterson. Well, guy, actor Gene Berry played Bat Masterson and uh, came on every every day. And he wore a derby hat, hat cane, and uh, the song was uh, uh, Bat Masterson wore a cane and derby hat. You know. So they called me down, and this lawyer come to see me. Uh, his name was Ron Patton. And there was a club in Rome called the $10,000 Club. It was an Ambets club. And that's where the lawyers, doctors, and people could go and you could get whatever you wanted to drink in there if you belonged to it. Well, that's where they would meet with the judges and lawyers would meet, DA, and ever who had somebody that had a case for $10,000, you know, they could get them all. So this lawyer came in and he was dread. I thought, man, Miss Pat Bat Masterson is in here. He's got the cane, the derby hat. And I must have been going to a costume show or something. Party or something, I don't know. But he came in and said, uh, look, I don't care if you're guilty or you're innocent, but for $10,000, I'll get you off. I said, man, I ain't got $10,000. Tipped his derby hat, walked out the door, and that was it. But if I'd have had 10 grand in 1974, guilty or innocent, I could walk. Uh, that was the way it worked. That's insane. And, and I can understand how frustrating and disheartening it must have been for you when you heard about the Joey Watkins case. Oh yeah. And yeah, then yeah. and then just like every new season, same things happening in, in all states, really. And um but I was thinking if it also maybe made you feel less alone that that there are people out there now understanding what you'd been through, that you didn't have to like tell your story again and again and again because it was out yeah. there and that, that that's true there because when I got out and and I didn't know what I know now I just you know I know that uh, we believed I was innocent and um, but no one seemed to care uh, uh, they, no one would listen to it and uh, I'd be trying to tell it what happened in the court. And uh, I couldn't tell it without getting mad anyway. So I just finally said, oh, man, I got I got to get away from this. But then when I was working, my sister and I were working on the case. Um, do you know how we started trying to get it reopened? How that come about? Well, back, no, you- and back when the murder one of the girl's daughters, Beverly, told my sister that they buried the gun with her mother. Right, I remember. Yeah, yeah, I remember. So the murder weapon was never found. So I'm, I went to the, uh, well, here's, here's what happened. I had the document where the judge, Royal, that judge, 
that hated me so bad, didn't know why. We learned later why. Uh, and the DA, Beverly, uh, confessed to perjury while I was in, this was in the 70s. So I had to take out perjury warrants for her in Charlotte. And I was in Reachville. This is 1970. This is after I've been sent. So uh, uh, they she was in jail, and they uh, the judge and the district attorney told her, now, if you're found guilty of perjury, the law in Georgia is whatever sentence you cause that person to get, you're going to get the same sentence, which was true. It was a Georgia law. But not for her. She was still a juvenile. And so not they, for the prosecution, by the way. Right. Yeah, that's 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 what uh, should be prosecuted. But however, they scared her out of uh, her testimony. Said uh, So they said, look, here's what you do. You confess to false swearing where you told the sheriff you lied. You admit you lied when you said you lied. So they changed it from perjury to false swearing. And she never went before the grand jury. Well, when they did that, that became a conspiracy from the state against me. And I still got the document. So my sister and I, we, we didn't know where to start. So we went to the FBI, local FBI here in Rome. And I showed them the document, two FBI agents. And uh, they looked at it and said, yeah, that's looks like they, uh, st uh, they broke a law but said the best thing you can do is to get this in the news and make a movie. I didn't, hell, I didn't know how to do either one. How am I going to make a movie? How am I going to get it back in the news? Because the wrong news ain't going to do anything. So we went to Atlanta and uh, met with a uh, Atlanta Journal reporter. He talked to us a long time, and, I, and he listened to us. Well, on August the 13th, 1994, he, he released a small article about the story that the murder weapon was possibly buried with the victim. But in the meantime, my sister said, why don't you write Robert Mitchell? That's who she named me after Robert Mitchell. She was 18 when I was born, big Robert Mitchell fan. Well, I, you know, I was big Robert Mitchell, especially the moonshine story, Thunder Road. I can relate to that one. So I wrote him a short letter and I said, I understand this may make a movie. I don't know, but if you're interested and if you want to play the meanest bastard of your career, I'd suggest playing the judge. And uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know how he'd respond. So on June the 21st, 1994, about 2.30 in the afternoon, my sister, she kept a record. Uh, and I still didn't have a cell phone. So we, we'd been out working on this thing and walk in the door, phone's ringing, Bob Mitchell on the phone. This is Bob Mitchell. Wow. I don't remember what I, don't remember what I said. I, you know, I, don't, I mean, I just, I don't mean, Guy was just as nice as he could be. He was laid back, cool. And uh, he said, if, if, if you can get a movie out of this, I'd be honored to be in it. So he hooked me up with his agent at the time. We didn't know he was sick, you know. He was he had he, he died in '97, and we didn't we didn't know what we knew now to try to do a movie. But we were just trying anything to do. I was just trying to get the story out there any way I could. 
So, because the FBI said it was the only way for you to go. Yeah. So uh, the it, it, we were on the news every day. I mean, every day, the local news, like the uh, national uh, inside edition came up here and filmed and uh, it was, it was in the news all the time. So he, anyway, here was a lady that called me up and had seen it on the news and said, uh, she was friends with Grace and uh, uh, with neighbors. And she was at the funeral and she saw Grace's ex-husband go up to the casket like everybody else, but he put something in a paper sack in the casket under her. Well, that, 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 that could be it. Who knows? So uh, the news report, news radio guy up here suggested that I, uh, Tammy Colston was a lawyer, and he suggested I hire her. Bad mistake. Bad mistake. I didn't know any better. So I go talk to her, and she told me, she said, um, well, look, if, if Larry Simon, who was the DA at that time, who was then a judge, but if he's involved in any wrongdoing, I won't do anything to help you. He's like a father to me. So she didn't. She didn't do anything. So uh, she's, but when she got elected as the district attorney, I said, Tammy, I'll be sitting on the doorsteps at the courthouse if you get elected. And I, and I pretty much was. So after she got elected, I went to her and asked if she would uh, exhume the body. Just look for the gun. Didn't hear any more from her. Well, by then I got a different lawyer. I got a guy, a friend. He's cool. Mike Dub. So one day in July, I believe it was July, man, I'm going to Atlanta and I'm in traffic and I'm stuck. It's raining. I can't go forward. I can't go backward. Well, by now I got a cell phone. This was in 97. July 97. And I get a call from uh, next county over. The Somerville reporter said, man, have you heard the news? I ain't heard nothing. He said, well, they exhumed the body. And they found an empty sack. No gun. Empty sack. What the hell is a sack doing? Wow. It's so crazy. There is no record of that exhumation. Like no one was there. Well, there's no one there to represent me. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's what I meant. Oh, yeah. yeah. To Rome that night, uh, Tammy Costin, Costin called me, and she said, yeah, I said, we found a twisted up sack. The casket was full of water, yeah, but we found an empty sack. And I said, well, what, if, what was the sack doing in the casket? She said, I somebody just put a piece of trash in the casket. No, no. Who doesn't? You know, well, it was... Uh, do that. <laughs> you know, I, would, did they find the gun? I don't know. Later, I tried to get, uh, they videoed it, and I tried to get a copy of it under the Freedom Information Act. So that was in July of 97. By October of 97, I had a heart attack and, and uh, ended up having a stent put in. So, I'm trying to recover from that. And then we 
then the last thing I tried to do was to get to a copy of that uh, that video. I, I didn't want all I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to see. I just want to see that sack. Right. So then the detective, we went round and round with him. I mean, this is on the uh, on undisclosed. It's recorded. That detective lying to me, saying they had lost the tape. They didn't know where the tape was, and that I had. A, he said, "You agreed that if we exhumed that body, you wouldn't pursue this anymore." Well, I and knew that, that was. You know, that was so I, insane. I, I didn't. I always said, "I said if the gun ain't there, that don't change anything." So. They they won. They managed to keep me from getting the tape. Wow. I never did. Then that was in 97. Nothing happened until Susan dropped out of the sky. <laughs> and let me and just let me just back up a little bit because I just want to explain a little bit more for people who don't know who Susan is. Is Su- yeah. Well, I don't know if I know. Is Susan the host or the uh, producer of the podcast, Undisclosed? Susan and uh, there's three of them. Uh, uh, they work together. Susan's uh, an attorney, Rabia, and Colin. Okay. Uh, undisclosed podcast. Yes, and Colin is a is an he, evidence professor. Yes. Yes. He teaches uh, law. Okay. Yeah. 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 So and these Susan, yeah these guys know what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And Susan uh, did most of the investigations. Uh, on the, on all their, their stories they did. Susan is amazing. I'm just um, oh. I met her. I met her at CrimeCon in um, a few years ago in um, uh, Nashville. She's just amazing. Relentless. <laughs> That's awesome. Right, it, and in a very charming and straightforward way. I mean, yeah. I've seen it like on the Undisclosed podcast. It. Uh, they worked it out in a way where they were all three on each season, but one had their main responsibility for one season. So that's why uh, different cases features different front persons of the three. And wanted my story and Joy's story. Okay. And then just to back right. up a little bit more. So the night, the night that this murder took place, Grace had two teenage daughters living there, correct? Yes, one of them okay. was the boyfriend. The beau? Okay, and he was there. So that was everyone that was there that night that you that you were aware of? No, there was another guy there, that uh, a friend uh, named was Richard Holcomb. Uh, I, I sponsored them gambling running poker games, Richard and Bo. Uh, he was supposedly there at night, too. But and it's kind of hard to, to know anything, because Mitchum can remember, and the yeah. rest of the people might be involved. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't remember. Uh, I didn't know I was, had been drugged. But when things, what I did remember was uh, Grace wanting to close the beer joint. We had to close at midnight because of an election the next day. But she, which was unusual for her, she wanted to close early that night. She said, I feel like something 
nothing bad about the house. You know, so uh, we closed and I went to pick up our son at the nursery. But everything after that was slow motion. Wow. What I can remember. Uh, when they, I, I, I got to my parents' house and uh, my mother uh, had five sons. And this was August, hot weather. But they kept the house cool with fans and shade trees outside. So their house was always cool. But when I got there, I, I had my, my gun. Um, I, I had a gun on me and um, laid it down. And I lay down on a little day bed and actually passed out. Well, my mother, being the gentle soul she was, and this is one of the juries voted guilty because of this. Uh, she covered me up with a sheet. She, she always believed that if you lay down on the bed and uh, didn't have some kind of cover on you, catch a cold. Mm-hmm. Just mama, mm-hmm. you know. Mama covered me up. So uh, when they found me, found me with all my clothes on, well, they, they used that against me at the trial that I committed the murder, ran to my parents' house and hid in the bed and covered myself up with my clothes on. That wasn't the way it happened. But that one jury said that's why she voted guilty. But one of the arresting officers said that I appeared to be drugged and not drunk. But that just went over everybody's head. You know, it, it, there was no way I was going to win anything at that trial. I should have never had the trial, and they should have never put me on stand. No. And and if we uh, jump back to uh, when your case was un- undisclosed, I wanted to ask you about, because obviously traumatizing for you, you told us to, to go back and go through all of that, that you had kind of left aside and pushed by, right? And just looking forward, but did it make any different difference after that you got responses from people and people wanted you to make a podcast and stuff like that? That's the poetic justice. <laughs> and my own podcast, you know, I, I, I didn't get the pardon that I wanted. Uh, but this is, oh, well, there's a lot happened since then. Uh Do you know about what Rome has done since since my podcast ended? No. Uh, <clears throat> when the when the when the night that we heard Lana Inslee tell uh, Susan how how both killed Grace, I'm a thinking man. You know, Rome will now maybe get in on this. Well, Rome wasn't listening. People all over the world were listening, but Rome wasn't listening but there were a few people that, that did and uh so i i, I got the mention podcast uh, we have a facebook page and we have a twitter page so it's on facebook and uh so they, they started putting the stories out on facebook well since then the city of rome the rome history center uh had a Uh, a, a, an event conversation with Mitchell and we held it last August the 25th and they had a meet and greet 
in a private room, had a uh, hors d'oeuvres and wine. Of course, I had my Irish. And uh, so for $10 more, they could meet me in private uh, and meet me in person. And I thought, man, that's cool. I, I didn't expect that. And I didn't expect as many to come to that as they did. But we had the, uh, uh, well, first of all, before all of this, the Rome Community Watch is a Rome local TV show. So John Hershey, who is a law, who is a professor at the Georgia Highland College, he hosts that. So they've been, uh, uh, him and his wife, they picked up on the podcast, the Undisclosed and My Story, and they got in touch with me. And that's how that got to happening. So we've done, I don't know how many TV shows we've done. They're on Zoom. And uh, now I'm doing like I'm doing here with y'all, but... Uh, if if our granddaughter wasn't here to help me set up this phone, I'm on I'm on YouTube with Community Watch. You can see the top of my head, and you can see our ceiling <laughs> and top of our Christmas tree on some of them. But uh, except the one time my granddaughter fixed the phone where you see us better, so those have been successful. So then the History Center. Uh, started having these events. We were supposed to have it a couple of years ago, but COVID knocked it out. So we were able to have it August the 25th. Then we had, get this, they got this old-timey, well, it's up-to-date bus, but it's a trolley tour. So Rome holds these trolley tours to different uh, history things around Rome. So they had a trolley tour with me. Do you believe that? That's so awesome. Yeah. So uh, they asked me, said, do you get get motion sickness? I said, only handcuffed in the back of a car. I get motion sickness. (laughs) So I'm sitting on this trolley, riding backwards, looking at these people who paid money to ride this bus with me. And we're going back uh, to the murder scene. So we go there. We go to... The house is still there where my folks live. And then we end up going, and Susan and, uh, is at this. She made it. Uh, that took them. Susan and Jacinda uh, got on this bus tour with me. Well, we, we make the circle. Actually, we should have done it different. We started backwards with it, but that did the best I could do. Uh, so we ended up at the foundry. That's a little corner place on downtown Rome on Fifth Avenue and First Street, and they brew their own beer there. So the the deal was at, with the tour, those who wanted to get off and have a drink, do that. Those who wanted to go back to the museum could do that. So a lot of them got off the bus, and we had a fun time. <laughs> Can you believe coming from that to that? And now here's what they're doing. We're filming my stories at the History Center. Unauthorized, uncensored with mention. And those are going in the archives. Awesome. Years from now, people will be able to see. That's amazing. It's come a long way from that. Uh, there's other stuff that 
was happening out in California, but COVID kind of knocked that. But it's still in the works. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Check back next week for our continued conversation with Mitch and Reeves. And if you haven't already, please subscribe so you can get notified of when our new episodes release and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Touch by Crime. Thank you, and we hope to see you again next week.